love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's easy, especially when we think of our neighbors as our friends and family. But what do we do with those people that we really don't know anything about? The Human Family Podcast hosts conversations with guests from local religious and cultural communities to explore a more complex narrative of who our neighbors are in the greater Santa Barbara area. Welcome to the Human Family Podcast. My name is Kenny Chisholm, and I'm your host. This week, I'm joined by co-host Alaa Khan, and we're in conversation with Rene Golan, who is a local mindfulness meditation teacher and a member at Congregation B'nai B'rith, a local Jewish temple. She shares about her connection with the ocean and the mountains and how they have played a role throughout her life. We'll also hear about the Jewish holiday of Sukkot and how Renee finds grounding in connecting with her ancestors and her spiritual community. Ada and I found this conversation to be very pleasant and calming, and we hope that you too will find rest as you listen in. You're currently listening to the edited version of this episode. If you want to hear the full conversation, which includes Renee's reflections on the roots of Jewish meditation, working through grief and loss, and the importance of rejuvenation of body and mind, check out our extended version in the same place you found this episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to be here today with my co-host, Alea Khan and Renee Golan, who is a meditation teacher in town and a member at Congregation B'nai B'rith, our Reform Jewish synagogue that overlooks Tucker's Grove. Since this is a local-focused podcast, I want to first acknowledge the history of the land that we're living on, which has been stewarded by the Shumash people for thousands of years before it was forcefully taken by European settlers in 1782. We humbly seek to be in conversation with the Shumash today as they continue to lead by an example of deep spirituality and community. Renee, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you be willing to share your preferred pronouns, how long you've called Santa Barbara home, and what excites you about being part of the Human Family Podcast? (laughs) <laughs> so I've been here since in Santa Barbara since 2003 and in the U.S. I've been here for 31 years in California. I'm excited. This is my first podcast ever <laughs> <laughs> and I really love the sound of human family, just those two words. Hmm. What you said in the beginning just brought me already into a spiritual sense of peace, of honoring uh, this place. What's something that you love specifically about Santa Barbara? Maybe a place that locals might know or some aspect, otherwise a geographical features? So I absolutely adore the, the fact that we have both the ocean and the mountains, of course. It's the oceans, they reflect within me because I grew up next in a little town that had an, had the oceans, but the fact that we have the mountains as well and the, the sunsets and the beauty. Also, another spot that I absolutely love is the painted cave where you drive up and you can park your car and you're very high up on the mountains and you have a perfect, amazing, beautiful view of all of Santa Barbara. And you can 
tune in to the stillness of the space and the history of that particular space. And yeah, it's a very special space. It just, nature is amazing in this place. Renee, you mentioned at the beginning that you liked the way that Kenny framed the conversation with wanting to honor the place and the land that we're on. You mentioned the small town that you grew up in. I'm curious how your identity is influenced by all, where you've grown up and where you have lived over your life. I definitely. So I was born in Casablanca, which is Morocco. And definitely feel like uh, more at ease and connected to places that are sunny. My parents moved to Paris and I lived there for a few years. And then we continue moving on to Israel. And in Israel, I lived in a small town called Netanya. And Netanya was, is between Tel Aviv and Haifa. And it's on the coast. And growing up in a small town where I would either bike or walk places, everyone I could, I, I basically recognize most everyone's faces just walking the streets. And also over there, you have the beauty of the oceans and nature. And so in Santa Barbara too, you have that feel of small town and community people are kind of connected to their communities and that gives me a sense of being anchored and a sense of this is a good place to be in it's definitely a really beautiful place to be i was born and raised in santa barbara i haven't lived there for about a decade now but it's a wonderful place to grow up you touched really beautifully on the way in which the different places you've lived have this common thread of being by the water and having a small town feel. But at the same time, Morocco, France, Israel, the U.S., California, they're all pretty different places as well. And I love the way you have threaded them together and there seems to be a theme and what draws you and calls you home. Has there been any stark differences in living in Santa Barbara versus these other places? Oh, yeah, definitely. As a child, I did not enjoy living in Paris so much. <laughs> For some reason, I, I continued going to France and visiting my brothers, but it wasn't as appealing for me as living in Israel. I think I'm... Uh, extremely sensitive sometimes to not only the weather of the places, but also the ancient history or the people. So some places, even traveling in Europe, some places I felt more at home than others. What's something that you notice as you recount having traveled to different places, some places that might feel more like home than others? even maybe places that you've never been before, it sounds like. Yeah. As certain places have a sense of home. Can you describe a factor or two that play into that sense? For me, spirituality is a major factor mm. and family. Mm. So when I immigrated to Israel, it just felt like coming home. It just, I don't know... I think it was on many different levels. 
And even though I lived for what is now the majority of my life outside of Israel, I still, anytime I go there, it, it just feels on a very deep level that is beyond words, a place that I call home. The language is also something that vibrates with me on a, on a very deep level. Even though French was my first language, Hebrew mm. is the one that resonates in my heart more than anything. Uh, part of it because I pray in Hebrew, but mm. part of it just because when I came to Israel, it just felt like coming home as if I already had lived there before or it's difficult to put into words but and there, the ancient history the vibration of the place and it's also where my family ended up living so my parents uh, my sister and and so did I so and throughout the years I always went back um, once or twice a year so yeah spirituality is a very big part of my being and the years that I spent in Israel were the ones that marked me the most in my lifetime so it was just also those years between being 10 and 21 that I experienced the most highest elevation and and also some of the most traumatic events in my life so it ties into not only my own history, but also the history of my people mm. and the depth of, of what, it, what it feels like to live in Israel or be in Israel to even visit is something that a lot of people who've never been to Israel, they have a hard time explaining and they just get blown away from it, just being there. What is this relationship between spirituality and religion? Because it seems to me that being Jewish to you is very important. And I would think of that as kind of a category of religion, but obviously spirituality is something that's very important to you as well. How do you connect those together? Or are they one and the same? <laughs> when you say spirituality, it feels like something, it's such a big word and... So those two kind of blend for me because that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. I was raised uh, in a traditional conservative home. And uh, my family uh, goes back generations of people who observed traditions, observed uh, rituals. Mm -hmm. And being Jewish was just who I was. There's no question. As a child, I didn't know anything else. I didn't call it spirituality. Only in a later exploration of what was calling me, was this sense developed that strong desire to find a higher spirituality and to kind of break some even like some of some of those boxes, some of these little small identities that get placed on you and things that as we evolve, I, as I evolve, as I grow older, I want to continue to explore what that means, basically, and find a place of an open awareness 
that is a sense of being connected. <laughs> not only to not only connected to my higher self, connected to God, but also connected to the people in my community and connected to the world, connected to other people with a sense of equanimity, a sense of respect, a sense of tolerance and making religion something that is easy for me to live, to express, to be proud of, many different aspects of it. In talking about the family that you grew up in, you use the word conservative. Do you mean that in uh, speaking to like the a Jewish denomination or like or, or in a more general sense? Growing up, I, there were no denomination in Israel. There was mm -hmm. the Sephardic family I grew up in was observing the holidays, observing. My father was a quiet man who prayed every day and who went to the synagogue on Friday night, on Saturday. My whole family observed the holidays. Growing up in Israel it was very different than what it means to be Jewish in America. For instance, the highest, the, the holiest holiday on Yom Kippur is something where everything stops. Everything, just especially where I was growing up in a small town, you could basically hear a cat walk on the street. There were no cars, no, no zero traffic. All the stores were closed. Um, people were walking around in the street with their white shirts and going to synagogue, most of them. And in my perceptions, it was like a day like no other. It's as if you came into some island and it was so quiet and so serene. And you could just connect with the sense of the holiness of the day. It's hard to describe, but that was part of growing up in Israel, something that doesn't happen here, and I still miss it. That very deep sense of just amazing, quiet, amazing holiness in that day, specific day. I know you said it's hard to describe, but you actually, I think, painted a really beautifully descriptive picture of what that experience was for you. And I was going to ask you, how were you drawn not only to your own practice of mindfulness and meditation, but also teaching it. And what inspires you to want to create that community? So it's interesting how some people say when you start wishing something and you start having it as a dream, sometimes it manifests. I started meditation with my meditation teacher in, in the 90s. And I've always had this dream of one day going for six months and just devoting that and just stillness and exploring meditation on a deep level. How someone who lives in just pure silence and exploring on a deep level. And in uh, 2014, I had the opportunity and someone offered me six months in, in a place in Burlington to explore just that. And 
my desire came very strongly about not only because I wanted to experience it for myself, but because I've been teaching children for 25 years, Hebrew and, and, and Jewish studies, etc. And it felt to me like over the years, there, the tension span was diminishing. It felt like something was happening in the way we were moving with the internet and with the extreme distraction and a lot of busyness. And that need for me to understand and experience meditation on such a deep level was also that as a teacher, I was feeling this sense of something was happening, something on the level that the world is just becoming a little bit more restless than it used to be. And if we look at numbers and what scientists are saying, definitely there's, there's proof for that. And so my desire is to bring some kind of equanimity into my own life, but also to teach what I'm learning in the process. And that's the only way I know how to, is my very strong sense of wanting to share what I'm learning and make meaning out of it, not just for myself, but for others. Anyone who has tried uh, meditation knows that it's a big door into inner self and it has a lot of amazing benefits. And it's difficult. <laughs> it's not all. It's a difficult process, but it's worth it. Is there a, a tradition or practice within your culture that most Santa Barbara locals wouldn't know much about, but points to a greater theme within your community? Any special like holiday or daily practice or community event? So one of the holidays that a lot of people don't know about is called Sukkot. Sukkot is a celebration that comes after the high holidays of Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Those sometimes get announced even on the news, but Sukkot is a celebration of seven days where some people build up they build this little hut in the balcony or in the backyard. And it has to have an opening on top where you can see uh, the stars. It's a temporary shelter and it reminds us of the dwelling, the temporary dwelling of the people that came out of Egypt, the Israelites. And it's uh, very dear to my heart because for me, I used to celebrate it as a child, but I think in Santa Barbara, a lot of families started observing Sukkot because they found it so uh, unique and exciting holiday to celebrate with children. So you basically build this little temporary kind of little home and you invite your friends, your family, and you celebrate it with meals every day. And there's like certain custom of shaking what is called a lulav. A lulav, it's, it's like a, it looks like a spine. It's a palm front and it makes a noise like a rain. And you smell the etrog, which smells like a citrus kind of. And the tradition is also not only that you're inviting your friends, your family and your 
having meals every night, but also you invite what is called the Ushpizin, like your ancestors every night, a different ancestor. It can be Abraham or Sarah or Jacob or Queen Esther and so on. And it's very unique in this way that you're basically bringing this mystical tradition of inviting the ancestors and inviting their presence and connecting that way to your ancestors and connecting with family and sharing a meal. Thank you for sharing that. This past Sukkot, I actually built a sukkah with my housemates in our backyard, and it was a really special experience. It was actually not the first time I've built a sukkah. We built one in Santa Barbara years ago. But this one was special this year because we were able to use this space in COVID times to have like socially distanced gatherings in our backyard with some friends, which was really nice. And for me, what really resonated about what I learned through my housemate who was Jewish at that time was this reminder to rely on God and that our physical possessions are temporary. That really resonated with me in such a tumultuous time that we're living in right now. It felt really special to reflect on the things that are set and to distance oneself from our physical home and our physical possessions and the historical context for that. And we did some ancestral sharing as well as a house. It was a really special time. That's wonderful. It's also in the Jewish tradition like this, a shifting of going from one holiday, which is very introspective, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and then right after Yom Kippur, maybe two, three days later, you're supposed to build the sukkah. And it just gets you into a rhythm of the year that takes you from one joyful holiday or not so joyful to another, but brings all this tradition and makes them part of your life. And when everything in life becomes like just a busyness of running around, you're having a celebration that connects you with family, with your ancestors. And I think it's important to have these kind of customs and this kind of observing holidays that are important. It occurs to me that making something that you know is temporary can be a spiritual practice in and of itself, even as oftentimes when we move to a new place, maybe actually if we're talking about a dwelling or if we're entering into a new relationship, entering a new job, we want to hold on to it. We really want to say, okay, finally something that I can land and not have to worry about moving again, whatever it is where we seek that really a more permanent, solid kind of foundation, something that will be yeah, consistent in our lives. And it seems to be a spiritual practice to admit that things are always changing in life. And as much as we try to control things, even people who have the most wealth and resources in the world can't control everything. I mean, there will always be things that are going to be outside of our control. And yeah, it just makes me think that putting time into a temporary dwelling, knowing that it's temporary. There's something that seems powerful about that as just a practice in community saying, we're going to do this thing and we'll build this shelter. And then at some point it's going to come down, but with the community connections and relationships can continue on. Definitely. 
I'm looking out my window and seeing that the sun is going down, and I'm aware that it's Shabbat, and I'm wondering what kinds of practices or rituals surround this time of week for you. For me, I start being happy on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I start being happy on Thursday because Shabbat is beyond time and space. It's something that is hard to explain. It's It vibrates inside of me from a very young age. All the senses and the spirituality gets elevated. The Shabbat itself is like you're walking into a place that is hopefully full of light and peace. And there's some ritual of lighting candles and sometimes having friends over, family. I always cook ahead of time because I don't cook on Shabbat. And I prepare everything I can at home so that I don't have to to deal with it on Saturday. And usually I, before COVID, I go to the temple. And this connection of studying Torah and reading and immersing myself in the prayer service is always working like magic. It's, it's, it's part of it is songs, part of it is silence, part of it is learning, part of it is like going back in time like you're basically reading a text that is ancient and you're also learning from not only from your rabbi and your community, but from the rabbis that have been so amazingly wise and connected on a very deep level and have written books that are just out of this world. And every Shabbat is different. Every week is different. It's always a different Torah portion. And if Shabbat falls on a different holiday, then then sometimes there's double the joy. You know, it's like mm. it's Shabbat and it's Sukkot or something like that. So I could talk about it for a very long time. It's very special. Plus, you're not working, you're not cooking, you're not. It just becomes a day of rest. Rene, this has been such a peaceful conversation. Uh -huh. I've so appreciated your thoughtful responses. And in some sense, it, it's evident that you're a meditation teacher because I can tell that you're feeling through your answers as you speak them, or as you respond to them, or at least someone who is experienced in a meditative state. I usually ask our guests to give us a blessing at the end of our time together. And I was wondering that as we enter a time of Shabbat, a time of weekend, of rest, or whatever else our listeners might be heading off into, certainly a sacred moment of either connecting with ourselves, with the world, with God, with other people. I was hoping that you might be willing to send us out with a brief meditation for all of us neighbors here in Santa Barbara. Great. Okay. So we'll take three deep breaths. <laughs> I pray that um, we can all come to a place where all that divides us, 
will fall apart and will no longer be there. I pray that each person will be guided by their heart and their soul and their highest self. I pray that we can live to our children and our grandchildren a world that is going to move towards peace between all nations and that we are able to take care of this planet. I pray that we can all tune in to the sense of Shabbat, which is always present underneath all the noise and all the fear. And we can let go of the fear that divides us, that we can respect each other and honor each other and understand that God is transcendent, that God is universal, that God is something we cannot even describe, that is, He's the Almighty One, that we can all tap into the sense of peace, the sense of shalom, of being whole. Thank you for joining us today for our conversation with Renee Golan. I especially appreciated the reminder that taking the time to pause and step away from everyday life is an important part of spiritual rejuvenation and something that is built into the Jewish tradition with Shabbat. Next episode, we will be having a conversation with Nikki Ramage, who is an associate pastor at the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara. Please subscribe to our podcast to see our latest episodes each week and share it with your mom, your roommate, your neighbor, or even your dog. And as always, feel free to reach out to us at thehumanfamilypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on social media to get highlights from each episode.